0: everybody to learning with Bell Vista Studios. This is our opportunity to learn from people that are doing inspiring stuff in the industry and it's an opportunity for us to be curious and go deeper and today I want to say thank you to John Hinschliff. He has recommended Sarah for doing fantastic tangible adding value in the space of um, particularly I know you've got other passions and interests but for this chat particularly in the aspect of people that are educators people that are teachers leaving the industry or wanting to do a career change into learning and development instructional design so thank you John for the recommendation because I'm really excited to get curious about this and I know it will add a lot of value Um, and I just want to like I don't want to go and recreate what you guys have already done. So I'm actually just going to quickly share my screen, Sarah, and just show your website
1: um, because it'll
0: be linked in the description for people just to go deeper because there's a lot of practical step-by-step guides, lots of resources. So I just want to point people there. But to set the context, their mission is to support K-12 and higher education teachers for free as they navigate transitioning out of teaching and into L&D with a focus on instructional design. And if you go into this getting started space, when it loads, this is where like the step-by-step kind of practical tips come in, you'll see there that it's about like filling the knowledge gaps, tailoring your application, applying for the jobs, and then coming soon is the interview prep and execution. So Sarah, welcome. I know I'm talking and Thank hogging you. the space,
2: but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you you did I, it better than, than, than I do it most times. So <laughs> I appreciate the the, the great intro. Um, so, yeah. Hi, I'm Sarah Stevek. I am the creator and founder of Teaching a Path to LD. Mm-hmm. And I am currently a senior instructional designer uh, with a major financial institution, but I'm actually, uh, tomorrow's my last day there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I'll be moving. Breaking into- news. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's first heard it here, but um, so I'll be moving into more of the um, retail space mm-hmm. as a, starting off as a senior learning experience designer and with the room to really dig in deep to learning technologies and driving mm-hmm. strategy and implementation of digital adoption for up and coming uh, learning and development tech for, for my new company. So Amazing. Very
0: Congratulations. I Thank hope the you. new uh, challenge is exciting and rewarding for you. And mm-hmm. I think then that's awesome because this will put you in a good space because I didn't want to recreate what you've got there. Like I really think the stuff you've got there is ready to go. So what I wanted to kind of do is focus more on the mindset and considering your own journey. But now it's just fresh for you because you've obviously just gone through another career transition um, and talk about Also, real world demonstration. So, of some of the things that you kind of help people with. So, number one question I have is there are lots of common worries and unknowns (laughs) that prevent people from making a career change. What are some of the common ones that you come across, especially from that educator space moving into ID?
2: Sure. Yeah, I think that, you know, this is a a very um, commonplace perception as well as uh, something that we take on as educators, as teachers, or, or even just anyone transitioning into a new career. Um, I was a teacher for nine years and I taught 11 different subjects. I started off in deaf ed and then I moved into general education. I've taught everything from English to chemistry, to ecology, to biology, anatomy, physiology, to career Uh, exploration and personal finance, like, I love to learn stuff that's new, I was constantly picking up new things and challenging to create new things. But when it came time to leave the profession, I had a medical uh, situation back in 2019. And that led into 2020. And so when I got back, it was obvious that it just, I couldn't continue in that space anymore. Mm. And so I felt, even though I've done some really incredible things, I've, I've written curriculum and I've, you know, I taught chemistry and sign language and I taught myself anatomy and physiology and like had to break it down to teach it to kids. And so, you know, when I left teaching, it was like, I almost lost a part of myself Mm. and like, I felt like I had failed because I, not that I couldn't keep doing it, I could, but to at what cost? Like, does the end justify the means at that point? And I just want to reiterate that that's not a failure. Mm. That is growth. And as we age and as we go throughout life, things change and our interests and our hopes and our dreams evolve. And I think sometimes we clutch really strongly to what we're told as children what do you want to be when you grow up like it's a destination like it's a a final thing that you achieve and and oh what school are you going to are you you know what degree are you pursuing and it puts all of this emphasis on making these decisions that feel so final that feel so defining you know that when we're confronted with this conflict of I don't know if I want to keep doing this anymore we almost feel like we're betraying something, Mm. you know, and so we clutch to that because it's familiar because we, we got comfortable, you know, and so I think that's one of the biggest challenges is taking on a new mindset, allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable and to say, I don't know, and to say, it's okay if I fail and that I don't know it all right off the bat because, I want to learn if you're learning every day and pushing to move forward, then that's the best that you can do. And it's either going to get you to where you're going to go, or you're going to make different choices and life will evolve the way it does. So I think that's a, that's a big thing. And I think too, we think, especially coming from teaching, Mm. there's a very, very structured way that you most teachers become a teacher. There's loopholes, you know, for, for those who are subject matter experts or like emergency teacher hires that then kind of do the program backwards, yeah. they get hired and then they have to go through the certification.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but so we think that we have to have a certain degree and we have to have a certain certificate and that's not necessarily the case. I'm not saying those things are bad. Uh, Programs can definitely provide support and structure. Um, Good programs are, you know, led by individuals in the industry who are well-respected and have research and publications out there that are widely in use. Um, But that's not to say that's the only way to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have a degree in instructional design. I don't have a certificate um, because when I left, I didn't have the money to go for it. Mm. And it was very confusing and I felt very lost and alone. Um and I think another part of the transition is the fact that uh when we're going through it and we're trying to do something we've never done before and people who are in our lives are seeing that from the outside and they're seeing us struggling to break through they they worry about us and they question are you could just go back to doing it'll be fine like you know maybe you should just go back to this. Those are their limits. Mm. They're not, they're not yours. So I wanted to make a safe space for people to come and be supported and be able to like share and collaborate and say, Hey, what the heck is this? And, you know, Someone actually be like, "Oh, you know, I wondered the same thing. I read this about it, and here's a great YouTube video, and here's a LinkedIn Learning or a free course, or even a paid course that really helped me." Um, just to allow people to really crowdsource and get their information, and get it from people who are have nothing to gain or lose from it, other than we just want to we just want to help others, not feel alone. That's
0: cool. I really love that you've taken, it sounds quite growth mindset, which is um, Carol Dweck, does a really good like TED talk on that. The link will be in the description. Um, But it is really around like you're saying that, you know, continuously learn, continuously grow. There is no fixed path. We have to adapt. We have to react in life. Um, You're never too old. You're never too Unable or it's limiting beliefs, you know, a lot of the time. And I think that mindset is really beneficial when you join learning and development and you join instructional design because there is no right or wrong way. It's about problem solving. You're continuously adapting and you have to be curious and you have to continuously learn down to every day, learn something new because there's some new blog. There's some new article, there's something coming out that's like, this is the hot topic and you've got to figure out, is it? Is it going to help me and my journey and my stakeholders and my subject matter experts? So I love that it is really just about be curious and align to what's important to you as a human and know that you can work it out and you can adapt and those skill sets are really exceptional and what will help you be... strong instructional designer as well.
2: Absolutely. I 1000% agree. Mm -hmm. And I think you brought up a really great point in that we have to come in with a growth mindset because we don't know. Mm -hmm. There are differences between education and between the instructional design Uh, implementation. There are a lot of really great foundational baselines that are the same. You're going to use like the same critical thinking capabilities, but it's all about being able to take your experience out of the environment that you gained it in and being able to apply it in a new and adaptive way. Mm -hmm. So really keeping to your point, really curious all the time and remaining highly analytical And being able to tap into different perspectives and asking questions as far as, well, what why would you think that this is a value add? Can you tell me more about how this would impact your work life? So you want to know from your client's perspective, you want to know from your audience perspective, you want to know from other professionals. Mm -hmm. Because just like every other industry, we're going to have the latest and greatest, and <laughs> it's that pendulum swing that, uh, you know, teachers, uh, at least in my experience, we go through different digital adoption on a yearly basis. We're using new authoring tools and new testing, uh, new LMSs, and like, oh my goodness, <laughs> like the learning curve's incredible, you know, so um, picking up new technologies isn't as arduous as it may appear on paper. Um, and you don't have to know them all at all. You need to know like one really core uh, comprehensive authoring tools that for e-learning. So Articulate Storyline or you know Captivate or Lectora or iSpring or one of those. I would really recommend knowing one, uh, getting comfortable with one video editor and one audio editor. Do you have to know them all? Absolutely not. And you know what? You're not going to be a master of it. And you know what? That's okay. Because I've been in PowerPoint for like since the 90s and I still learn new stuff and they come out with new features and it's new capabilities. So yes. And I think it makes me sad because I think recently this has become more and more prevalent Um. That sometimes those in the industry and those also outside of the industry trying to break in become hyper fixated Mm. on the, this is what it takes to be a master, but, you know, and they're very prescriptive and they assume and use their subconscious biases to really tell others what their capabilities are and what their experiences are, where they have no place to do that, where they should really ask questions Mm -hmm. on both sides, Mm -hmm. on both sides. So with that, there's no room for growth there and there's no room for collaboration and learning and taking on new skills. And so that can be demoralizing. That can be scary And hurtful Um, especially when you're already terrified your Mm -hmm. livelihoods on the line you are branching out into something that is completely new and you're you're it's terrifying that you won't have what it takes to cut it and you have someone try and cut you down and reduce your skill set to nothing and If you read something like that, please know that's not a reflection on you. That is a reflection on whoever wrote it. And to do your research and find the skill gaps and say, no, I don't know how it's done in instructional design. Could you please tell me? Could you walk me through your process? What types of templates do you use? What types of frameworks and models? And really dig in deep and find the connections. Right, um, because there's a lot of connections between education and instructional design, and so because of that, I think also I don't know if you've noticed this as well um, in your uh, career as you know part of the LND community. There's a lack of transparency and adoption of industry-wide baseline core competencies and expectations. Uh, you know, we, we do have professional organizations such as ATD and, and whatnot. And, but again, it's not industry-wide, it's not adopted. There's no formalized procedure or program. And so this leaves it very open to interpretation. And so sometimes that is great for opportunists who see this influx of demand for instructional designers. And they see this influx of people wanting to become instructional designers and no real like quality control as far as what it takes to do that. And they're like, well, if it could be anything, I could sell anything. (laughs) Um, So there's definitely been some frustrations with some of the, like, I mean, how many pop-up shops have we seen for this academy or this program? And that's not to say that again, There are really quality programs out there that should be taken in order to improve your skill set. You should never take a course to put a bullet point on your resume. Mm -hmm. It's not worth it. It doesn't help you grow. It doesn't value add anything, especially in an industry where experience and being able to connect the dots and perform is way more valued than a piece of paper and a dot on your resume.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely do not take any courses or qualifications just for it to be on your resume. Um, and I, I think my experience is like you've got to figure out what's important to you. What are your life goals, professionally and personally? And like you say, connect the dots. The instructional design is a life skill. You know, you have these aspirations for your life. How are you going to get there? What's it going to take? And you mentioned you didn't have any qualifications becoming an instructional designer and neither do I. And none of my team have any qualifications. I didn't have a portfolio when I was having my first conversations with stakeholders and potential clients when I went freelancing and contracting. Um, So I do think that you've got to go within and keep those mindset things that we were talking, skills that we were talking about earlier around curiosity and openness and figure out what is your goal, what is your target that you're trying to achieve and you use what is useful and apply it towards that because everyone has their own experience. There's so many people out there that really, like they have their portfolio got them their dream job, for example, but I'm saying I didn't have one and I don't value a portfolio either or the effort that goes in that some people put into a portfolio. So. It's always everyone's going to, first of all, be communicating to the best of their ability to you. And we'll have good intentions that even if they say you've got to do it this way, that's because they believe it. Um, But we've got to know that they do have good intentions when they're talking to us. But is it right for my journey? Um, And I think that's a place that I'd like to get um, your perspective on in terms of, I like, I don't really know. There seems to be more and more people coming from education to uh, and teacher, like a mass exodus, but also, um, you know, just like career change and I'm ready for a change. So there's also like a positive thing. So <laughs> it seems to be coming from America a lot. I'm not as exposed to it um, myself here in Australia and I don't follow a lot of stuff on social media either. So I go through life with blinkers. When you talk about these academies and all that sort of stuff, I'm kind of like, is that happening? Cool. Cause I'm not aware of it, but good for them. You're better um, off. Oh, the stress. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it just, well, that is what it is. It's too much clutter for my brain. So I'm very clear on what's important to me and my next steps in my journey. And I'm just making the links between, is that going to add value to that or not? And I just sieve through it very quickly and move towards it. But I'd love to know how can people find out, because I guess there's lots of career paths beyond mm-hmm. teaching, so how can they find out that ID is the right one for them next, as opposed to someone said, you need to try ID. That's the best place for you to go next. How can they actually find out for themselves that that's the right
2: move? That's a beautiful question. It really is because you know, I, I think sometimes we get so wrapped up with this this is what, I'm, what is out there in, in public and public. And so these people have been successful and they seem so happy we have to remember that when people go through something that is so impactful and meaningful to their lives, there becomes this deep emotional attachment to it. And this almost, you know, like, I'm gonna plant my flag on this hill and I will Mm -hmm. die here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So um, it's so important to keep your goals, in mind and to think about, okay, well, I want to do X, Y, and Z. Does this do that? Right. And so when we're thinking about what the next step is, what career I'm going to be very, very, I'm always very, very open anyway. But Mm -hmm. um, when I quote unquote revamped my resume and I left teaching, I had no clue what I was going to do. I just knew I didn't have an option to fail um, and that I needed to find a career and that I was not going backwards. I didn't know what forward looked like, but I I had already been there and I was like, "Eh, you know, it's just not working. (laughs) Um, so started researching, came across all these, you know, different roles, corporate trainer and instructional designer. And I'm like, okay, I'm a teacher and I've done like, when I read this job description, I could totally do these things. Like I've done these things in a different way. So I'm going to put on my resume, all my teacher experience. And then I'm going to like under my name for my title, I'm going to put okay, educator slash instructional designer slash e-learning developer slash astronaut slash corporate <laughs> trainer slash neuroscientist. You know, like, <laughs> and what that does is it, it's almost like, you're in an archery competition and you have a target and everybody else has a target and you know you're supposed to hit your target right in the middle you know that but instead what you do is you put it on a blindfold and you try and hit all the targets with one arrow (laughs) which it's not going to (laughs) happen. You're going to end up missing everything um, because you're really aiming at nothing. So you need to pick a specialization to focus on. Again, this is not your forever goal. You can change it later and that's completely okay. And you know what? You might get partially down that path and be like, yo dude, no. (laughs) And then you back up and you readjust and you move on. Um, but in order to kind of pick those things, don't go after the most popular. First, what I really encourage people to do, um, just because it's, it's a good self-reflection exercise in general, um, is to write down everything that you've done. Like, take your different jobs and break them down super granularly. Uh, You know, the things that you wouldn't think are important. Oh, I, you know, scheduled people using Google Calendar, Mm. right? Like, that can't be important, except it is in a lot of jobs, like administrative assistants or if you're a project manager and you're like, so there's skills that do apply to things. So granularly knock it down. And then go through and highlight the things that you enjoyed and that you were like, you know what, this, this is where I want to be in life and highlight the things that you're like, "Eh, I wouldn't mind doing that, but it's not what I want to be the focus in a different color. And then just scratch out the ones where you're like, I never want to do this again Mm -hmm. with a 10 foot pole. And if you ask me to do it, it's a deal breaker, (laughs) you know, because it's, you know, it's good to know what you want, but it's better to know what you want and what you don't want. So once you've done that, then take that list and go on to career exploration websites like CTE websites, or you know, there's lots of different um, career aptitude tests and where you can go and really find the breakdowns glass door has some great breakdowns of role descriptions and definitions and go through them and see where your highlights match up with the roles that you want and that's what's going because that it's it's all about you it's not about trying to say well I could do that I could you know squeeze myself into this box that wasn't built for me or you could embrace what awesomeness you are and really go after that that strengthening and acknowledge your your gaps and if you want to fill it great because you think it'd bring value add or perspective or depth or and if you don't because it doesn't interest you then don't it's okay like you know just realize that some jobs have certain requirements that you have to know and be able to do And once you've locked in on it, then you have to upskill. There is no such thing as a lateral career move. (laughs) You can jump into one job and straight into a different type of job. Like that does happen out there. It's more like winning on a scratch off ticket, but you know, it does happen. Um, And you can learn on the job, but That takes networking and serendipity and the the right thing at the right time, right? So if you are, even if you're not landing a role or you're still growing towards a new role and you're not quite there yet, if you're doing things for your reasons, you're less likely to have any type of regret or disappointment Uh, or feel like you've wasted your time because you feel like you are filling your cup. And I think that's important. So yes, there's a lot of hype around instructional design. I would say if you do not like to analyze and do research, if you do not like to collaborate Mm -hmm. and really work to find a solution as part of a team, not... I know best learning practices and it's the la and we will make this training with this tool because it's, if that's your perspective, you're going to have a really hard go. Because um, instructional designers don't own content. We don't own the responsibility of end of the day who we're training their job performance. That's their manager's responsibility, right? I like, I always like to think of it like a shipping company. So Mm. let's say you have a manufacturer and they make a product, right? And then they have a customer that sells, that buys that product. And so, you know, the little manufacturer comes along, comes to the shipping company and say, hey, welcome. And they're like, hey, I wanna ship this little cube. And you say, okay, well, we have this box that that would fit in perfectly, however, you know, we're, we're happy to, to meet your needs. Would you like to purchase this box to ship your container because it would provide the most cost-effective and protective mechanism in which to ship? And sometimes they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, just throw in that box. That sounds great. I trust mm-hmm. you. And sometimes they're like, oh no, that box is ugly. I want a triangle box for my square cube. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, you know, I respect that. Here's what might happen to that triangle box and shipping because it it's hard to stack. Um, but we we can definitely do that for you. And then you take it to the customer. Your job is to deliver it in an, an efficient and friendly, customer-focused way, where you know you're not leaving the package in the bushes, you know, because they're not gonna appreciate that. And you're not chucking it at their head from the side of the car door. And so, uh, but once you've passed it off, even though like you would want feedback, how was the delivery? Did you get everything uh, okay? You know, was the packaging itself damaged? We're not like, oh, can you open it up and let me see inside and make sure everything, like the product is working great? Do you want me to, you know, help you set it up? That's not our job. If that product is broken, that's on, on the manufacturer. If the customer, then like, slams a product on the floor and and it splinters into a million pieces after it's been delivered. Also not our problem. Also not our problem. And that is very different from education Mm. because we assume that responsibility of our learners because our performance metrics are directly tied to their performance metrics. So like pay bonuses, Mm. uh, licensure, lots of things. If your kids don't perform, it's not good news for you, Mm. Um, which is a lot of responsibility to assume for things that are oftentimes out of your control. Um, But so, you know, that's a huge part of instructional design. So if you can't get out of that subject matter expert mode slash instructional designer mode, it's going to be a bumpy, bumpy go. Mm. because that's not what we do. We are there for a service. Ultimately, we should be working to serve the business and we should be working to serve the customer and our audience and our team. And I say our team, not ourselves, because we are never there to serve ourselves. We're there to make money like it's our job. But the actual goal of the role is not... To do anything that directly impacts us as professionals. Mm. Interesting. So, yeah, that, that's my personal take. I know, you know, there's a lot of different takes on, on what it means to be an instructional designer um, and it looks different from role to role, Definitely. you know.
0: But. Roll to role to role, organization to organization, what part you have touch points in, do you write the content from scratch or you're working with someone does someone give you the content you got to do it with yeah it's so different so that's a good question to ask during the interview <laughs> or when you're looking at job applications to see if it's right for you but I love I just want to summarize summarize some of the key points that you brought up there for people if they are trying to find out for themselves if it is right for them as the next career move and I think the number one thing is you've decided to change so or move forward in your journey So whatever you do is gonna be new. So just be okay with that and know that you're starting with a fresh blank canvas. Even if it seems like a small stepping stone or a big one, it's all new. The next part is around what do you like and what do you not like? So what have you liked and not liked from your past journey, your past jobs, personal interests, all that sort of stuff. And also thinking ahead to where is it that you wanna be um in 10 years in your life and what is it that you like and don't like that you want as part of those next 10 years um and then from there when you are future pacing your own journey your own life it's don't squeeze into a box create that box and I definitely like I am creating my ultimate life I love what I'm doing I love everything about it it is possible so don't squeeze. And that was one boundary I set for myself was that I will never squeeze into another box again. I must create the opportunities for myself. I've proven it can be done. I will continue to do that. And then which is the next, like last point that you brought up is doing it for you. So checking in and is it right for you? So I think that's some great reflection points for people to actually prioritize time and sit down and figure that out for themselves before they spend all the time putting their resume together applying for jobs, all that kind of stuff, and then getting into a career and being like, oh, I hate this industry, or I hate
2: this particular role. Um, yeah, and get different perspectives on it. Like, yeah. I guess I'll just fill up my desk there. <laughs> um, but, you know, get get different takes from, you know, a whole bunch of different people so that you can find the trends in it and really get a better feel and well-grounded feel for what it is. And just know that if you do pursue something that is truly you, you make your own box and you follow your passions and you set those boundaries. Just be ready that there will be haters because that unfortunately is sometimes a threat, not necessarily that you're threatening their space, but they feel threatened uh, for a multitude of reasons. But again, that's not reflection on you. What I would say, though, is that there it's important to remain objective, but also very aware and um, have a strong backbone about what you've done. So you never want to self-depreciate what you've done. You want, you know, you say, well, you know, I I made these things, but they really weren't all that great. You're planning doubt in, in minds. And you also don't want to go on the other end of the spectrum and say, well, I have all of this experience. So therefore, of course I know how to do this. And I would obviously be the best choice because then it's, that suggests maybe a limited growth mindset in that, you know, there's always something to learn. True masters are always learners first. Mm -hmm. Um, and they know that. So, you know, go for that objective, state it matter-of-factly. I did X, Y, and Z. This is how I did it. Here's what I, can, I want to do to improve upon it in the future based on X, Y, and Z research. Do you have any feedback? Uh, how could I better improve? Mm-hmm. And when you do that, that's gonna set you up for more success. And it's also going to keep you level-headed as far as what you're bringing to the table. And if somebody does say something that maybe says, oh, well, you don't have the skill set, or you need to do this, or you need to do that, always ask yourself why is this person giving me this advice? What is their credibility? Is this advice also coming from other credible sources? What do they have to gain or lose from giving this advice? Is their personal job well-being or Mm -hmm. self-inflated, you know, intelligence being directly threatened Mm -hmm. by what I'm doing? Because that's going to let you know, is this truly an objective piece of advice that's going to help grow? Or is this kind of something that you should take with a grain of salt? And say thank you. I appreciate the input. I'm always looking to learn, but maybe not take to heart and apply if it's really not grounded or fact-based or you know, anything like that. So I do love, don't put yourself in a box. Be prepared for some people to not be ready for that. And just know that that's okay. Haters gonna hate.
0: Yeah, I actually had a um I do like the silence time every week where I literally sit in silence and like put like a thing in a blindfold around my head and try to have no stimulus for the senses. And my epiphany this week was um, discomfort won't exist or doesn't exist when you are your authentic self. So I feel like that summarizes what you're saying. If your authentic self is showing up, then you're not uncomfortable. There is no discomfort for you. And you're not also aware of this the discomfort of others because that's on them. And you actually don't even know that they're feeling that. You can only assume or perceive it that way. But when you're your authentic self, you're not even going there in the first place because you don't put your your stuff onto someone else and you don't
2: accept their stuff onto you. Let's stop projecting. For real, for real. Like, <laughs> whoo! Like- live and let live. Let's just pull together and come to make great stuff and say, here's my perspective. What's your perspective? Oh, I didn't think about it that way. Maybe I'll adjust this to do this. What are your thoughts on that? Like, imagine what we could create with that, right? <laughs> and so that's really the premise of, of our really big project that we have going on right now at uh, Teaching a Path to L&D. Um, so all these pop-up shops lack of transparency this disconnect between hiring managers and educators trying to get into the field you know we have hiring managers saying i can't find a qualified candidate uh and then candidates saying well i've done all this upskilling why can't i get a job mm. right and so we're doing research right now uh collecting information from hiring managers and their perspective as far as okay what are the core competencies of a associate level uh, and entry level instructional designer. Now by entry level, I mean, what is the base professional level that is acceptable to come into role? That's not saying experience because years of experience does not equate to ability at all. Like storyline, just a weird like off topic piece of advice. Whenever you're in a tool, log all your hours and create things so when if there's like a stipulation oh has three years of experience in articulate storyline you don't have that you always want to be honest and say no i don't but i do have this many logged hours in it and here are my work samples to show what i've created and in these time frames that i've documented and why Mm. um so you know uh so collecting that information as far as from the hiring managers what they're doing and where their base level should be and Mm -hmm. then what is the criticality of each of those things, right? Because, you know, if they say, oh, well, this instructional design role, they should really have like a, a highly proficient understanding of articulate storyline. Um, but how critical is it to the role coming in to be able to do that? Or is that something that you can have like a lower level or maybe not even any experience at all and learn on the job, right? Um, So they rate the criticality and then they rate the perceived skill gaps that they're seeing in candidates who are educators. And then we're also doing two uh, simultaneous surveys, one for former educators who are now instructional designers, and they give their perspective of where their gaps were and the advice that they would give. And then also for current transitioners. So Mm -hmm. where are they seeing the gaps and uh, comparing the three across to see the Mm -hmm. trends, to see where the outliers are, like if this is a gap that's been identified by the uh, current transitioner, like, oh, I don't know what this is at all. But the former teacher says, actually, I did know this. And then the hiring manager is like, oh, yeah, that's not a concern. That tells me that might be a, just a surface level, real quick thing that we need to address as far as maybe terminology, right? Mm. Not necessarily like in-depth practice of it, but more so, again, surface level. Going to take yeah. that compare it to a study from 2016. And that's going to be the driving factor for our, um, our new free offering mm-hmm. for a comprehensive instructional design uh, course. So it'll be, um, it's called uh, Teaching a Path we use, of course, because, you know, it's TPLD. Mm-hmm. Uh, project-based path to agile instructional design. And so um, it is, is it okay if I share my screen?
0: Yeah, go for it. I'll oh, awesome. Let me know if you don't have permission. No, it's coming
2: up. Um, so on our website, it is under the happening now. We also have canva by Karthik uh, Richard. Mm-hmm. And um, so in this project, essentially up into this point, TPLD is really focused on like the job search soft skills that teachers, Uh, are lacking in, like how to use LinkedIn, uh, how to create a resume that resonates with the job that you're applying for, how to navigate the ATS system, because we don't use that in education. And so really like core transfer into a new career space skills, but not the actual application of what is instructional design. Right. Mm. And so we wanted to bring that to people for free but that's a lot of stuff right and the biggest complaint there's a bunch of complaints that we hear like struggles that teachers go through and one of them Mm. is that there's not a way to connect the dots like i've learned all the theories i have i've learned tools how do i put it all together into an actual project what does this actually look like in the day-to-day what's the end to end Mm -hmm. and so this whole program will be based in the scheme of an overarching project Mm -hmm. that will be a real world example and Mm -hmm. so that example would be the core of each unit and then there will be uh, lessons and instructional materials that they can use in order to produce the desired deliverables so starting with the intake meeting and doing uh you know action mapping and figuring out your project scope and doing your Mm -hmm. front-end analysis and so These learnings, though, would be matched as far as like categorized based on which skills they identified as critical Mm. and missing in the assessment that matches the research that we did to drive Mm. a very customized experience. Um, And you don't earn a certificate, you don't earn a badge, but what you do walk away with are uh, actual deliverables from end-to-end project with your design thinking spelled out that's supported by instructional materials and examples that is peer reviewed and that you also did peer review and reflection on. And, uh, you know, you get the end-to-end experience. Now, I
1: want to launch this in March. No way in
2: H-E double hockey sticks, is there any possible way that i could make that comprehensive of a system of a program
1: mm.
2: right so i asked myself okay well how could i get it made well we'll do instructional design inception <laughs> so <laughs> all the um, individuals who have been like researching and getting into it and they want that end experience they're going to help me build this project by going through the instructional design process to make the process for others for free so that they can go through it fully transparent based on a report that was generated by our community as far as the data and the input. Mm. And we're not restarting right now computer, calm yourself. Um, So, uh, And throughout this whole project, everybody who contributes their name and their picture will be on everything that they make along with their contributions. And they will also walk away with deliverables that they can put on their portfolio and solve mm. a real-world problem. And hiring managers can come in and, and see it in action. And we actually even get to get all the way through all four levels of Kirkpatrick's because we will be um, evaluating learner progress and coming back and iterating on the modules mm. as instructional design continues to develop.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's cool. So that's a, it's a really good opportunity for people to experience put it into action and get those transferable, demonstrable skills for their future decisions and stuff. And I think it is important to look for opportunities to do that. like to create your portfolio, to be able to answer interview questions. And I think a lot of the stuff that you're saying, what's resonating for me is to, if there's any um, discomfort or disease, move away from it. I, th- I always think about like the because you do so many health and safety courses, that hierarchy of controls, and like the top one is elimination. And if there is any friction or negativity or anything that doesn't feel right, someone else's opinion, like your parents saying you shouldn't change, like a teaching's a good job or whatever, it's always just like eliminate that stuff if it's not part of your journey, and it's not aligned to you. And that goes for articles you read on social media, like um, videos you watch on YouTube. So just, and also questioning is my thinking coming from a place of fear right now, or is it coming from a place of love? I think that's a really nice question I ask myself to keep accountable to like, what am I actually trying to achieve right now? Um, So I want to, I want to go into like quick fire, OK, Yeah. so I've got some things that I just thought with like the I Googled what's common questions, stuff like that, that come up.
2: So if you can answer it. Um, One to two sentences, I will do my best.
0: I was going to say three words or less. Oh, I was just checking. The, we'll go for three words. I like the challenge. The first,
2: yeah. OK. All right.
0: Um, advice for teacher
1: wanting to change careers the oh, three uh, okay. Dig in deep. I like it. How do I get experience? Seek it out. Oh, you're going to keep into the three. Um, must-haves on a resume. Can I ask a follow-up question? Mm. For instructional design or any resume? instructional design I would say actions process and results mm,
0: nice that will also serve you for doing interviews people um, so the actions you talk the what was it
2: um, so uh, well, I don't know actions and results process. (laughs) Oh yeah. How you got there. So when you write your key achievements, making sure that you're saying, this is what I did. This is how I did it. And this is why it's valuable. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, it's really important to really dig deep into why should they care? Like if you're watching a mattress commercial and you're like, oh yeah, (laughs) I I need a new mattress. And they're talking about, oh, we have this mattress, that mattress. And then all of a sudden they start talking about their Coca-Cola vending machine in the front office. You're like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's distracting. Yeah. So action, sure
0: process, results. Love it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, red flags on a job advertisement.
1: Ooh. Hmm.
0: Three words or less. <laughs>
2: Can I do four words?
0: Yeah, go on then. I'll let
1: you.
2: Too much for too little. Ooh, good i'll back that i reinforce i what do you call i like i vote for
0: that too um okay you can have three of these so common terms from the instructional design space that are different to teaching language but are actually the same skills or task
2: mm. business goals and objectives mm. aka state standards cool um
1: Students, aka learners/slash audience, and
2: task analysis, mm-hmm. aka standard-based grading. Mm, cool. And rubrics. Thank you. They don't make sense to me, but I, I'm sure the people that are
0: educators they make sense too. <laughs> Um, okay. So in a job search, a person's doing a job search, is it, well, this is going to be a one word answer, quality of application or quantity of applications?
1: Oh, quality,
2: quality, hands down. If you throw spaghetti at a wall, you have spaghetti on your wall, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. and I, I, if we could just take a second on that, just mm. because I think this is really important. You should know what type of company you wanna work for before applying. You should know what type of company that you're a fit for and do your research and be motivated because they inspire you and they should be inspired by you.
1: Mm.
2: Not every shoe in the shoe store is gonna fit. Stop trying to make it. When it's right, it will happen. Quality Mm. every time over quantity.
0: Absolutely. From my own experience, like I don't, if I've applied for five jobs in my career, I've got three of them and like, yeah, that's because I really, like I spent maybe two or three days preparing that application, preparing for the interview, but I was like aligned to the organization, that role, it just spoke to me. I was like, that's me right there. So I was like, I'm doing everything in my power to make sure that there is no nose along this and it's worked for me. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's
2: so, it's so, so important, you know, to when you're applying to like a hundred plus jobs, you're not remembering what jobs you're applying for. And they call you and they're like, oh, we're calling about X, Y, and Z position. And if you're not ready for that and you're like, oh, what was that for again? You just went down several notches as far as desirability Mm. because they want somebody interested in them. It's wasted energy for
0: your life as well. Applying for yep. it too many, I believe. Um, things to Google
1: to learn more about. Um, action mapping. Of course. Yeah, uh, I love
2: that. Also would say models, you know, instructional design models. Pick one and, that they should just Google. Oh, pick one. Yeah, pick one. I have to say, I really love Guy Wallace's Lean, lean Instructional Design, hmm. lean, uh, lean ISD. Okay. It, it's just well done. Um, I will also Google it after this. <laughs> and then, oh gosh, what else would I, there's so many things that I Google and I'm just like, I just want to know more. Um, business acumen. Oh. Cause that's a big thing that even if you do prepare for it, it's, it's, it's a learning curve and it's an adjustment. And just again, go in with that growth mindset. You'll be okay. Mm. You're going to make mistakes. It'll be okay.
0: What is the challenge of um, that people fall into when it is, when they don't know how business acumen?
2: Oh yeah. Um, So, and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. Mm. Um, When you're a teacher, And that culture and the way that it's set up, when you go for a position at a school, it's like a family. And Mm -hmm. when you get in, it's like, oh, this like live and die by this and everything that I do contributes to this. Um, And that can be very toxic to your boundaries and your homework life balance that is not expected and is not appropriate in a healthy work environment. Um, and so definitely being able to, in poetry, they call it, uh, murdering my dearests. Okay. And that's letting go of things that feel important, but actually aren't.
0: Okay. Um, other than instructional design, what are three career change options that people have available to them?
2: With or without additional degrees without. Okay. Um, So hmm, there's a lot of them. Content developer, customer Mm -hmm. service, uh, customer success uh, manager, Mm -hmm. um, project manager.
0: Cool. I like it. Thank you for playing the quick fire. I'm conscious we are only booked for an hour. Do you have more time available? Because I I have. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. The next thing that I have for us is um, I actually wanted to I went and Googled like the, the behavioral interview questions that get that instructional designers get asked and I was going to ask them of us and then see what our responses are so we could kind of demonstrate not that it doesn't have to people need to remember this is not the best example because I'm putting I Sarah didn't on prepare the for this right company. Now yeah (laughs) we need 10 years experience anyway so um (laughs) no but are you open to that I've got a couple of behavioral ones we'll just try our best it might give a different perspective or shape people's thinking and them being able
2: to identify their transferable skills yeah and and maybe and we can even give feedback so that we can grow and improve on on our answers too okay all right all right all right you want to go first no I, I went I want you to go. Can I ask you a question? Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, if you've, you've got okay. one. Yeah. Um, tell me about a project that you created within a tight time frame mm-hmm. that had multiple challenges come up throughout the project that you okay. had to overcome.
0: I'm gonna pretend I was a teacher. I like got this to do this, yeah. Well,
2: and I'm not telling you that I was a teacher. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. it's okay to say you're a teacher there's nothing to be ashamed of you know i don't want to be
0: put in a box
2: i don't want to limit your thinking of
0: me (laughs) all right so i feel nervous now you can see me like jumping around like sweating out it's
2: nerve-wracking being put on the spot yeah yeah okay i got it i
0: got it so um The other day, actually, this happened for me. Uh, There was a crisis in our workplace and I needed to step in as soon as possible and take on someone else's task and responsibility that I have no idea about um, because it had a big impact on the stakeholders. And so it had to be done. We couldn't postpone it, we couldn't push it back. So what I did was gathered any context or information that was available to me. So I spoke to the person that delivered that news to me and then I asked them what is available to me, what exists already. They provided what they could and I asked them what is the outcome we need to achieve at the end of this time frame, um, which was an hour and a half away. So I had 20 minutes to prepare and then I would have this experience for an hour and a half. So I was very clear on what they needed at the end of that hour and a half I quickly skimmed through what they provided in terms of um, identifying what aligned to that goal. And then I thought about what do I know? What do I not know? And with that, I was able to feel at peace with the stuff I have stuff. And then I was trying to figure out what do I need in order to understand what's missing right now so that I can deliver on the goal. And I had limited time, so I didn't get all the answers, Um, but I believe that I got what I needed to be able to turn up after that 20 minutes and deliver what was required of me for that hour and a half. Um, And it was stressful. I had to really catch my mindset Try and breathe to reduce the stress that was coming up because there was commotion all around me with this crisis as well. And with that, I went in and basically explained to people, "This is the situation. I'm going to do the best that I can with the skills and capabilities and what I've been delivered. And here's what we're going to try and achieve in the hour and a half together." We did it. Um, I took on a curious mindset and I really tried to get the people that were in the room with me to help get, achieve that goal, like co-create and co-create the experience together. I pulled on their experiences. I didn't have all the answers. I wanted them to help me have the answers. And at the end, we got really great feedback. So at the end of the hour and a half, my participants, i.e. my school students, um, said that they loved that time together, that they were able to provide tangible examples of what their experience was with me, um, what they're going to do with it next. Our time together ended. Thankfully, behind the scenes, that crisis was averted. And when we went on, we just were able to go back about our lives. And also then my boss came to me a week later yesterday and gave me feedback on the participants and also other things that they'd heard around the workplace on how that I was able but I think really quickly and problem-solve, I delivered to the goal to the best of my ability and that the participants enjoyed the experience and they would be welcome to have me back if that happened again.
2: Okay, do I have the job? (laughs) Um, So things that, so I started jotting things down because I was like, okay, I really like this. So Mm. um, something, some things that I thought that were, excellently ex- excellently executed <laughs> um use i language which is really important sometimes as candidates we tend to use we language because it's like oh well i don't want to seem like i'm taking credit for somebody else's work but when you're in an interview it's important to really emphasize what your contributions were so i really appreciated the i language versus oh we did this together because that doesn't tell me what you did so uh, great job with the i language um, your analysis component and your acknowledgement of missing factors and how you problem solved. It wasn't just, oh, well, I, I didn't know how to do it. So, you know, I just waited to, for somebody to tell me, like, I could see that being very applicable to mm-hmm. multiple situations and getting stuff done uh, without handholding from a manager. Um, I like that you level set with your uh, clients and your stakeholders for their expectations. And you, were ma- you made sure to have clear uh, continual communication throughout the experience mm.
1: um,
2: and a growth mindset. You knew you didn't know it all, but you incorporated as best you could. And except for one part, mm-hmm. you did a really great job at staying um, with, with stating the facts and not telling me how to feel about it. Mm. uh you did say i believe this was effective um and that was the only time i heard it but everything else was very matter of fact this is what i did and i came to my own conclusions of yes i really i mean i was nodding you can tell from the body language they nod they're into the story um and then you not only and this is where a lot of people miss You not only told me what the outcome was, so you delivered what was expected of you. That's great. But what you did best was adding the value add. Okay, so that happened. Why should I care about it? And it was because your students feedback and because your boss's feedback, like I could see the value add of that situation. Um, I would say a little lengthy, And sometimes, and I do this myself, like it's so easy to say, oh, well, this was good and this was awful, you know, (laughs) like um, we all have areas of opportunity. Uh, But to be succinct of what was the situation, what was the task, you know, what were you able to do and overcome and what was the outcome results? What did you learn?
0: Yeah, that's cool. I was trying to remember that what you said, action process results as I was giving my answer Um, and the actual the scenario just for people listening that I was trying to think in my head is I was actually just thinking I'm a teacher in a school and some other teacher has called in sick and that I needed to go in and lesson plan for their class and deliver a class on whatever the hell it was so but the way I was trying to communicate my answer hopefully demonstrated that that communicates um what is important to like an interviewer and it could be an answer to anything
2: yeah and i think too um you know sometimes i i personally i prefer more like really specific examples Mm. and then uh an analysis of how it relates to the job at hand Mm. so that i can picture it better. So the better picture that we can paint um, can sometimes make it a little bit more tangible. So never be ashamed of your uh, experience, especially as a teacher. You were a teacher. That is Mm. what it is. Um, We have to acknowledge that in order to move past it and also in order to leverage it in our new position in a way that's meaningful and effective that doesn't overshadow what we're doing now.
0: Mm. I like that. I think that's One thing I could do because I kind of didn't want to limit the interviewer by thinking I'm an educator I don't know how to deal with business people so potentially next time what I would say is this happened in the classroom of 26 uh, 14 year old students and that I would say you could probably relate to, that when it is an executive team or a group of managers, there are similarities in personalities and chaos and things that might be happening. So maybe that's how I'd link my ability to operate in the classroom experience to this now corporate world. I mm-hmm. Love it. Cool. Oh, thanks, interviewer. All right, <laughs> your turn. Okay. Um, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> What is your instructional design process? Okay.
2: And so for a behavioral interview, like ideally like situation. So um, would you like me to give you one?
1: Well, well,
2: I mean, like, as far as like um, like typically like they'll say, you know, talk me through uh, your end to end design process mm-hmm. of a project that you completed in, you know, before or whatever. Um, All right, go for it. But, but that doesn't mean that those, that question doesn't come up because <laughs> it definitely does. So um, I would say,
1: oh goodness.
2: Well, so typically when I am, uh, in my previous experience as, Uh, educator at the beginning of every year, we would have to analyze the data from the year before and the current trends in performance. Um, And so in order to really establish what are our goals and what the ask is, uh, we are provided with what our outcomes are expected to be by the end of the year. So with those outcomes in mind, we then target those skills through Uh, conducting needs analysis through assessments that I've created and bringing that data and information to the team to see where the actual gaps are and what tasks would actually uh, help us bridge them and which ones are most important and which ones are not important to the Mm -hmm. overall goal because we have a very limited time. So once we've eliminated the topics that are not pertinent to our behavioral change, and that what we wanna see in our learners be able to achieve at the end. I would then um, consult as far as in previous experience, um, these are the best practices as far as uh, providing group instruction or scenario-based learning, making it very immersive and providing those options that would be effective for my target audience. So I'd really consider uh, my audience analysis as well, as far as what are their motivational factors? uh, What are their limiting factors? Are the Maslow needs being met? um, And to anticipate those challenges and incorporate that into my project scope and project proposal. Mm -hmm. And that is going to drive my overall curriculum plan or my curriculum architecture. And so with that for each unit, I would then break down uh, my instructional plan, I would propose that to my key stakeholders in this case it was my. um, My instructional lead, so the department head and say this is what i'm doing for this unit, do you have feedback should I change anything and then uh, from there actually create the items and. um, there was a very big iteration component to it because I taught uh, in high school. And so the first class, you know, I'd implement and then I would say, oh, that didn't work so good. Oh, that was not good. Mm -hmm. By the end of the day at seven classes later, they were like, this is the best class ever, you know, because (laughs) you change and adapt. And so from the end of that, I would always take down anecdotal notes and make sure that I'm assessing formally but also informally as far as were they able to perform uh, the actual skill that we were targeting for each lesson, were they able to consistently perform that skill over time, so we would provide evaluation of that same skill uh, throughout the course of the year through um, cadenced uh, reviews and also through knowledge checks and also building on previous knowledge and then using that to influence and reflect at the end of the year um, in order to present that data and information to key stakeholders and clients to show how we were able to drive change towards our business goals and objectives. Nice one. All
0: right,
2: Things that I'll summarize
0: your process but also things that I think are useful for people to communicate in their own way for that response so the question was like what is your instructional design process or talk me through a project from end to end they're kind of the same question just asked different ways so first of all you focus on data so you're trying to understand the true problem you're like looking at last year you're looking at where you're headed I think that's important um then you have a goal so it's clear that you're actually trying to solve some sort of problem and do something not just for the sake of it so that's quite um it seems very obvious but not everyone does it as an instructional designer so or as a teacher okay well there you go so understanding the true problem oh no she did <laughs> no
1: so rewind the true that was problem. fake you didn't hear that no.
0: yeah. <laughs> understand the true problem and have a goal that you're trying to work towards then you talked about your needs analysis and what was good on a more detailed level is that you talked about there's going to be a lot of information some's going to be important some's not some's need to know some's nice to know And then you demonstrated your knowledge. So you're like, it could be this or it could be this. We're not sure yet, but we're going to figure it out through our process. And you also demonstrated that you wanted to involve and show empathy towards your audience. So what's important to them? What are their motivations? And then I was able to make the assumptions that you probably, if you're good, will actually consider it as part of the solution that you do create. Um, you were also able to demonstrate how you deal with hierarchy. So you said your department head for me, I'm thinking that's someone higher up and she feels comfortable to be in meetings and having conversations and presenting work and taking on feedback from that person. So I think that was quite useful. And then the other opportunity that you presented for me to consider, and which is important, is the continuous improvement aspect. So you talked about how you'd ref- review, reflect and improve at the end.
1: Hold i on, missed Sarah. my
2: my value my like explicit impact value add though would you like to do that? after it it just praise yours <laughs> yeah you know, i was like oh dang it if you miss something in an interview question don't get hung up on it if you need a moment to think ask for it say um there's a couple different ways that you can do that you can say uh That's, I would, could you please reiterate the question? I want to make sure that I capture all of the components accurately. That gives your brain a little bit of extra processing time. You can Mm -hmm. outright ask, say, I want to be sure that I provide an answer that is meaningful and directed towards the actual question at hand. May I have a moment to reflect and gather? Mm. So I would much rather hear, personally, you know, everybody's different. But I'd much rather hear from somebody who's willing to take a beat and consider mm. more than jump into an impulsive answer that might miss components like impact. <laughs> um, <laughs> so
0: I like it. We're gonna, do you have another question? We can do one more each. Okay.
2: Could you please tell me about a time where you had to use your influencing capabilities in order to get a SME or client that had a different prerogative or vision in mind on board to provide the best experience for the learner?
0: I like to process things. So just give me a moment to think of a good example to share
1: with you. Absolutely. So I
0: think as an instructional designer, what the mindset that I have is that we're dealing with people and no two people are the same. So I'm very aware of that. And I'm particularly aware of that when I go into meetings, if I'm facilitating a workshop, if I am going to send an email or pick up the phone and speak to someone. And I need to also have the mindset and I do hold this mindset that I don't know all the answers but I know that I can get the answers by talking to the right people and asking the right questions. And that actually helps me not have difficult conversations or conflicts or friction between relationships. Um, Because when I'm very clear on the objective that I'm trying to achieve, the outcome of that conversation or that interaction with someone, It allows me to get rid of the emotion that may come up from two people interacting and allows me to just stick to the facts. So therefore, if they are, for example, aggravated or angry, I'm able to understand, first of all, that this may not be directed at me. They may have come from some bad news or some high pressure situation. I'm just in that energy with them. And I think that really helps me Focus on knowing that I'm just here to extract information and achieve the goal. And this is not a personal uh, attack on me. I just need the facts. The second part of that is I'm always, I do take time to prepare. Even when I'm ordering pizza on the phone, I take time to prepare to know what is the outcome I'm trying to achieve. For example, I've got to order these pizzas. Do I have the pizzas and the right ingredients down? So one thing that I do with stakeholders is I really try to put myself in their shoes to understand that we do have a common objective. We're just coming from two different places potentially. And at the moment, we may not be on the same page. So I want to understand what's important to me, but also what's important to them for us to co-achieve that goal together. So I might think about if I'm talking to someone asking for more money or an extension on a project, I need to understand that staying within budget or being able to demonstrate why more money is important is important to this person so I'll really spend time to just understand what their mindset might be around this what their questions might be the objections they may put at me so I can help prepare myself and even put them forward as my my discussion points to them to debunk it so that we can have a very action focused conversation and I think When I have an agenda, an intent with the conversation and a goal or an outcome to achieve that I can really stick to the facts. We can have a very productive conversation. And I very rarely have a kind of chaotic um, relationship with people. And that's the feedback I've received from people is that I am very authentic when I communicate. I'm very concise. I get to the point and they feel like it's always been a productive experience. Is what they say to me and they can't believe that we've achieved what we've achieved in that time and that we've got to the outcome the next steps and they continue to want to work with me
2: A uh, quick follow-up to that and sometimes interviewers you know be aware that they might ask you a follow-up yep. question to learn a little bit more uh so if you had to put a percentage on about the amount of times that you were able to achieve uh getting everybody on the same page for the best interest of the learner based on best practices and whatnot, what would you say your average uh, achievement percent would be in doing that?
1: Uh, Within my control, 100% of the time, because I
0: run a workshop with the people up front um, and I have those right people in there to co-create. I'm going to do this really quickly now because I'm conscious of time. Um, So I co-create the outcome, we're all on the same page together, we consider all perspectives and we don't leave that meeting or we have a follow-up email that gets approval from everyone in that, that that objective so that we all know we're on those Conflicting priorities, um, different agenda items, personality, personal opinions are worked out together in that space that I create because I know that that creates an issue later down the line in projects and I don't want that to happen. Now, where it goes beyond my control is potentially a new person coming into a role that hasn't been part of that conversation or a new person being part of the project that wasn't there from the beginning. So when they come in, how I do try to minimize any impact where those conflicting things may happen later down the track is that when they join, I will communicate and say, this is the agreed um, outcome that all of these, this is the journey so far, this is the agreed outcome. And if you believe it needs to shift, we need to have a discussion. Otherwise, this is what we will be targeting as we progress with decisions, actions that we take throughout the project.
2: I love that. I'm actually going to work backwards in that dissection. Um, What I loved most about your follow-up answer was that I could tell that you had best practices in mind. You had ideas as far as like solutions, but you weren't married to them. And that was very apparent. And you were willing to acknowledge that additional perspectives from the information that was gleaned during those conversations could actually have an impact on what you feel is would be the best practice and it's about compromise and finding again what's best for your audience Mm -hmm. so that was very powerful for me it resonated with me Mm -hmm. um uh going back to the very beginning You ask questions instead of providing knowledge, which I think is always a great approach and um, coming at it from instead of a battle of wills like hey I want to know more about you let's work together to get there, Uh, it was very clear that you empathized with your. With um, your subject matters and stakeholders to the point of trying to understand their reasonings and their actions, like how could this impact them? You didn't take it personally. And that's huge. And I love that you em- emphasize that because it showed me that you could go into a high stress situation where you had the results of which were a, would be a direct reflection on your work output, but you didn't let that pressure bend you to trying to force your will and therefore not getting the results and actually being counterproductive so i really appreciated that perhaps one of my most favorite things about your mm-hmm. answer was that you brought in pizza mm-hmm. and that you made it real and you were having a conversation with me as a person i think sometimes during interviews we forget to do that and that we forget that these individuals were in our shoes too. And it, and it's okay to bring, you know, a little layative, layativity to it, you know, but, um, you know, you don't want to get too far off, but your example was, was perfect. It was a nice little touch on it. It brought a smile to my face. It brought engagement back to the story. Um, you were very objective focused. You were very end result focused. And because you let that drive the entire process, it didn't get bogged down by limiting factors and you were a key facilitator of that and that strength really came through in your answer as very impressive. thank you so, yeah. this is
0: really good I'm like honestly this is how I would answer it if I was like having a conversation with a client or if I was in the interview so all right Sorry, well, I would be happy to work with you. <laughs> I'm not, not hiring, but I'd be happy to work with you. <laughs> $1 million, please. Yeah. Um, right. All right, last question for you
1: is, uh, we use, I'm going to say, uh
0: Senaventus XYZ program that is the magical unicorn of e-learning. Are you familiar with it?
2: Oh, the magical unicorn um, of learning. So is this the same? And it is OK to ask questions, by the way. Um, I w- uh, are you referring to the program that was in News Weekly last week?
1: Was it that um, program?
0: I'm not sure, but I just know that that's what our L&D have told me to ask you. Like our L&D team say, that's what we develop our e-learning in. It must be developed in it.
2: Oh, I see. So. I don't have experience, direct experience with that particular program. However, if it's a comprehensive program in developing e-learning, I have um, gone through the adoption and implementation of several different uh, comprehensive programs like Articulate Storyline 360, I've used uh, Articulate Rise, Um, I've used H5P, as well as you know non-e-learning components that I have doctored to make that. So for example, being creative with with PowerPoint in order to create triggers and, and interactive components. So while I haven't had a opportunity to explore that specific tool. I would be happy to do research between now and if I was selected for the position, and even if I was selected to move on to the next interview in order to become uh, up to speed in that. And I am very confident given my my experience in having to adapt to different technologies in order to produce work very quickly that I could come up to speed in order to produce the product in a timely fashion that met expectations and exceeded. So um, I'm very interested to learn more. I will definitely look that up this evening and um, also take some LinkedIn courses and see if there are um, any professionals that are currently using it that I can connect with and they can demo and walk me through a few things.
0: Thanks, Sarah. Nice work. Okay, so great things demonstrated there. you don't have experience the fact that you said that I think is really cool like you people need permission to say those things and it is okay to say it because there's so many tools LMSs everything out there we can't be expected to know it all so I think it's okay to say I don't have experience um I think what you did really well was look at well like there are transferable tools and I've played with others. So there's probably similarities, which means that I've done the play there. I'm going to be able to work this out. So that was cool as well that you made that connection. I really like that you put forward that you're going to go out of your way between this interview and the next one or this one and getting the job or tonight and find out about it and ask questions and get familiar with it and do learning because that shows me about your work ethic. And the kind of stuff that I could expect if you were part of our team, so I really like that use your initiative, I guess that's what you're demonstrating and and that you also said i've adapted in the past. I've made things work in the past that I didn't know how to do and I can do that again. So I just think that that demonstrates that the kind of worker that you are, like you're not going to have all the answers, but you're the type of person that will work it out because you you want to contribute.
2: Thank you. And I would say um, after the interview, mm. how I follow that up and nail that that home mm. is that I send an email and I recap Uh, next steps and specific questions that we had talked about uh, for each interviewer. Send each interviewer a separate email that is tailored to the questions and discussion that you had there. If you Mm. said that you were going to do X, Y, and Z steps, then you show that how you've already started. I would follow up by immediately (laughs) going in and, and finding like courses and signing up for courses and finding people to talk to. And then in the email, I would say, Um, Thank you so much for uh, sharing awareness about this tool that you use. I'm super excited to dig in. I've already signed up for X, Y, and Z course, and here are the links. And I've connected with, you know, Bob Schmob and -and um, and, so-and-so to have an appointment within the coming days in order to get that demoed and start digging my feet in. Um, So even if I'm not considered for this position it's a a wonderful learning opportunity and i appreciate you helping me grow good
0: really like that i'd be stoked if i saw that definitely you You gotta stand out out.
2: it's not just about saying you'll do something it's following through it's the follow-through you know Love it. Love it. All right, Sarah, this has been amazing. I
0: feel like this will add a lot of value to people's lives. So thank you for the experiment with me, like doing the quick fire and doing these interview so questions. Fun. It's good because like your stuff on your website, the link is in the description. Um, it is, it's the checklist, it's the steps, all that sort of stuff. So what we're trying to do here is that real world application. What does it look like? So thank you for that. Thank you for the value that you've brought i'm really grateful that you've taken the time to share with us and the people that watch it and i'll just encourage the people that do watch this please share this with other people because a job is a really really important thing for people you know it is people's livelihood there's it can really crush people's confidence when they're applying for hundreds of hundreds of jobs and you do see people out there struggling. So please share this video because you can have the impact and change their lives if they are exposed to, it's just, they don't know what they don't know. And videos and being able to demonstrate what we have today really just helps people go, "Oh, that's what I'm gonna do next time. And that might be the one thing that lands them their dream job. and means that they can live the life that they want, can just eat even. So please do that. And thank you for choosing to learn with us. Peace out. <sighs> Thanks, everyone. What's up, awesome human? Thank you, thank you, thank you on behalf of myself and the Bell Vista Studios team for continuously choosing to learn with us. We really appreciate it. If the tips and the insights and the context resonate with you and you want to take your skills to the next level or you want to make your life way easier, you will love our Creator Hub. The Creator Hub is a place for people like you and us, basically, it's the stuff that we use internally at Bell Vista Studios and then we just share it publicly with you. The Creator Hub is created by instructional designers for instructional designers, and what you'll love there at the moment is we've got a quiz, could I be a better instructional designer, that has so much tips in the feedback if you're interested in human-centered design or just taking your skills to the next level in terms of the solutions you're creating, the problems you want to solve. But in there as well, Aren't we cute? That's us. Um, But we've got the coaching courses, freebies, give us gratitude, and also we've got some templates. And basically they're always around the lens of learning experience design, instructional design, and e-learning. So a human-centered design focus is very much what we're about at Bell Vista Studio. So putting your learners at the heart of a solution and creating something for their needs So there's the human-centered design stuff, and then we've also got the business stuff. So this is the stuff they don't teach you about when you want to become a freelancer or a consultant in the instructional design world. So go check it out. The link is in the description. You can check out everything that is available for you. Thank you for choosing to learn with us. Continuously invest in your skills. You will be rewarded as an instructional designer. Share this stuff. Share it with other people, because when we are better instructional designers, we create better solutions that create better humans that create a better world. So we have a very important role and I'm excited to be on this journey with you. Have an awesome day.